Have, have any of you ever, um, and I especially am thinking about, but this could be for anybody, but it, I'm reminded of it as a, as a husband. You're sitting with some other people, you're sitting around at the table at dinner, and this usually happens to me because I'm more of the um, speak and then think about what I'm speaking kind of person. And I'm, you know, talking, and I'm so- talking about something, and I feel either a hand on my leg, squeeze, or a kick in my calf, ouch, some kind of signal is happening between me and my wife that I'm heading into territory I should not be heading. Well, you know, like, pull out now, mayday, this is not going the direction you want. And, and, and if that doesn't work, you know, the squeeze or the kick, it's the, you know, it's the, Laura will just kind of, kind of verbally just kind of step in front of me. You you, you know what Sean was trying to say was this. Anybody ever experienced that? Anybody ever wish that uh, you would experience that? John Bresciano, who used to live here, he just moved a couple months ago. He, um, this is another illustration of my point. Um, For those of you who don't know, I like to fix things. I like to, let me, let me take that back. I like to try to fix things. <laughs> Every time I visit my, um, my uh, stepfather, uh, he reminds me of the time that they had a, a dripping faucet, and I said, I could fix that. And a, a $200 plumber bill later, he said, I'm never going to have you fix my dripping faucet. I've done that for Dan Minnick. I've helped a lot of people um, incur plumbing bills by the, by the gracious kindness of my fix-it heart. And Michael Landers is laughing. Done that to him as well. As well. And um, so one day I was attempting uh, to fix my toilet, and I, I did not do a great job, and it was not working. And John Bresciano had to be called. He's a handyman, and he called him up. And I was not there, but as he was leaving, he looked at my wife, and he said, Do not let Sean fix anything else again. <laughs> Call me before he tries to fix something. We are in the middle of a series called Jesus is King. And last week we talked about, um, and we're going to use King uh, starting last week and through this sermon into Sunday. Um, We'll use King as an acronym to describe some things that are um, kingly about Jesus. Or what kind of king, maybe is a better way of saying it. What kind of king is Jesus? And we talked last week about he is the king of kings. We talked about that he is a king that is a king of power, a king of authority, a king of wisdom. Uh, Whatever you would describe as somebody who has authority to lead and rule, Jesus demonstrated that attribute of his kingship while he was on earth. And we see it also um, not only while he's on earth, but we see it in Scripture about who he is even today. And as he returns at some point in the near future or in the future, he will return, the Scripture says, as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. All things have been placed under his feet and rule and authority. He is that kind of king. But we started to look last week at the fact that he came and he is unlike any other king that we know. As a matter of fact, his kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. It's, it lives by principles that are very opposite to the way that we as humans throughout history have tended to rule and exercise our authority over one another. And so this week, we're going to look at a different aspect of who he is and, and a critical aspect of who God is because it is seen most fully 
in what Christ has done for us on the cross, and that is He is an intercessory King. He is an intercessory King. Intercessor or interceding means this, the action of intervening on the behalf of another. My wife interceded for me when I was about to make a tremendous fool of myself. John Bricioni interceded on my behalf to protect my house from utter destruction. (laughs) We have intercessors. Why? Because we need help. The reason that there is a need for someone to intercede is because someone is in a position that there is a need for intercession. We have a king who has displayed himself. We have a savior in the name of Jesus who has displayed himself as our intercessor. And as we look into this week, we're going to see how he's revealed himself in that way. So we are in, historically we are celebrating starting today. This is Palm Sunday. I noticed that Diane Kelly came in with some palms. <laughs> Diane, you've, you got him for there? Uh, this is Palm Sunday. Last, last week we actually talked about Palm Sunday so I could get to this message this week. But on the calendar... The church is celebrating that moment in time when Jesus walked into Jerusalem. He didn't walk, actually. He rode a donkey into Jerusalem. And it says that the people lined the streets and they worshipped him. They praised him. They they laid down blankets and they waved palm branches and they hailed him as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Prophetically speaking, but also acknowledging what they had seen of him and maybe even assuming that this was the coming Messiah that was going to take back control of the the people of Israel to, to push out the Roman Empire and to establish an earthly kingdom without, without an end. That this would be the inauguration of a, a forever kingdom rule here on earth. And Jesus revealed... Um, himself in a very different way on that night before his death. So look with me in John 13 and let's let's see what this king this king really looked like. We the context is he's come into Jerusalem. They've there's been a room prepared for the disciples. They have set up a meal, a Passover meal to be taken together. There is probably still within the disciples' minds and hearts this this anticipation or this description of what I just described to you, of what Jesus would be like, I would imagine that there is a little bit of of joyful or excited anticipation that Jesus is going to do it. This is it. This is the time when everything is going to come together. There had even been in the conversation that evening some jockeying among disciples about who is the greatest and who is going to be right next to Jesus in command of this kingdom. This is about to happen. Jesus is about to take over. And Jesus, at that moment of fellowship, in that moment of internal speculation, does this. Verse 1 of chapter 13. He was just, it was just before Passover festival. And Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I love that line. Because what we know is that has double meaning. 
that he loved them and us to the very end of his life on the cross. The scripture says he endured the cross for us, for the joy, it says, set before him of what enduring the cross or being put on the cross would do for you and me. We'll come back to that later. But not only did he love us to that end, but we know that what he did for us is loving us for all eternity. That he will love us to the very end of which we have no end. Amen? Of his love. Awesome. Verse 2. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God, and that he was returning to God. In knowing all of this, he got up from the mill, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, if you were living in this culture, and sad to say it's not much different of a culture today, but if you were living in this culture, what Jesus, what he was doing was completely wrong. This was not the way that a leader led in this culture. Humility was not honored. His act of service, what he did, is what a slave does. What a servant did. So he was taking on the form of a slave, a bond servant. He was sitting before them and saying, I am your slave. I'm your servant. We can't even grasp that. How many of you have in your daily quiet times or sitting here today when we're worshiping Jesus, have you thought about the fact that He is the one who takes off His outer garments, wraps them around His waist, bends down, takes off your dirty sandals, and washes your feet, lowers himself below you, looks at your feet, pulls out the water, pulls the soap out, washes your feet, cleanses your feet in a humble position to honor you and to love you. This is what Jesus did for his disciples. We remember, and we'll look at it a little bit later, but Peter is like, this is crazy. You are out of your mind. You do not do this to me. I do this for you. Jesus says, no, this is my kingdom. This is what it's all about. This is the moment of my revelation to you, that this kingdom is not about me conquering you. This is about me defeating what has conquered you, your sin, and to serve you. So that you can come alive. This is all different. Jesus is our intercessor and king. He intercedes for us with an attitude, with a disposition, with a plan that is embedded in humility. That is cloaked with servanthood. 
that says that the greatest among you are the ones who serve. The leaders among you are the ones who believe for the best in others. Your Savior is not coming to force you to follow Him. He's coming to love you and serve you into a place of freedom and surrender. Isn't that awesome? Come on, you don't have to be sad. This is joyful. This is a good thing. This is a good thing that God has turned the kingdom mentality of the world, the conquering, the survival of the fittest, the best looking, most brightest, tallest standing, most armed, most shrewd and cutting, you name it, kingdom, and has turned it upside down and said, unless you come like a kid, you cannot possess this. Unless you humble yourself, you cannot receive this. Unless you realize that you have need, you cannot partake of this. But when you know that you cannot overcome by yourself and that you need an intercessor, I am here to intercede for you. Amen? Thank you, Jesus, that you are the one who took off your outer garment and you washed our feet. You cleanse us and make us holy. Jesus also shows. Before I go there, can I, I just want to honor somebody that I feel like doesn't get enough honor. You're going you're gonna to think this is an illustri- interesting illustration, but I think it's powerful. One of our most unpopular presidents, I think, demonstrated Christ more than any other president I've ever seen, and his name was Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter was the President of the United States of America. He was carried around on Air Force One. He met with dignitaries. He was the man of power. And what did he do when he handed over the keys to the White House? He strapped a tool tool bag around his waist, and he was seen house after house after house building homes for the poor that were in need. He took his place of power and authority and he used it to show people that the best way to lead is to serve. I will never, ever forget, I still have pictures of Jimmy Carter in my mind, on a ladder sweating in the heat of Georgia, building a house for people in need. And I thought, thank you, Jesus, for a leader who has learned what it is to be humble and to serve. Jesus shows he's an intercessor king when he speaks to the Father on our behalf and prays for us. Most of us know the word intercessor or intercession in the context of prayer, asking on the behalf of another, asking of the one who has the authority, the judge, the king, the one who has authority to do something on the behalf of another. We, we get through the meal, um, and then Jesus goes, if you, as you read this passage of Scripture in John, he goes on and he teaches his disciples about what is about to happen. 
He reveals the whole plan to them. He reveals what's about to happen to him. He reveals that unless he goes, he can't send the Holy Spirit. He reveals what the Holy Spirit's going to do in their life. He reveals to them that they are going to be persecuted themselves and that they are going to need to trust in him, but, he's, but the Spirit of God's going to be in them and it's going to make that everything okay. He reveals the whole story of what's going to happen. And it says, at that moment, their eyes were open and they understood who this king really was and what he was all about. Or at least they had some picture of it because they later betray him again. They leave him. Boy, we are stupid, aren't we? We are stupid. We need an intercessor. We can't even go past one meal of revelation without forgetting. We'll see that later. And then he prays. Then he prays. In John 17, he prays. He, he has just served them. He's just washed their feet. And then he prays for them. And he prays for you and me. Excerpts from John 17 that I've taken. You can read the whole chapter later if you want to. But highlights of his prayer. What is he praying for? Verse 9, I pray for them. This is the disciples he's praying for. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. Verse 11. Holy Father, what's he asking? Protect them. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Verse 13. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world. I don't want them to be secluded or isolated or get saved and go to heaven immediately. I want them to stay in the world, but I want you to protect them as they stay in the world from the evil one. They're not of this world, even as I am not of it. So sanctify them, make them holy by your truth. Your word is truth. Verse 20, my prayer is not for them alone. This is where he gets to us. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them, everyone who believes, may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them, you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. The glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Do you see a major theme in that prayer? Do you see that what Christ has done for us, if it has its full effect in us, what He's demonstrated for us, how He lives through us, that the full effect of it will be that we Walk in unity and love for one another. So that that very demonstration of our oneness will be a declaration to the world that Jesus is real. Why? Because we don't get along with each other in the world. Plain and simple. We don't. And when we do, let's be honest, when we do get along with each other in the world, it's because it's working out for our benefit. We are all good. You've all been in situations where as long as you don't rock the boat and you keep on giving, everything's good. As long as it keeps on coming my way, it's all good. But when the, when the whatever, the blessing or the favors, or maybe you disagree, 
Anybody, anybody experience the, the power of disunity in our world today when we disagree with one another? Boy, we really know how to get along when we disagree, don't we? We beat each other up. We write op-ed articles. We tweet. We slander. We do whatever we can do to intimidate you into the fact that you should agree with me. And until you don't, I don't like you. You are evil if you don't agree with We don't know how to love one another. There's a whole other message when we don't love each other in the same way that the world doesn't love each other in the church. Jesus is saying that because I am in them, God, there should be a unity. There should be a oneness that comes from knowing me. But we need that unity. We need the intercessor to help us because we can't do it by ourselves. We cannot do it. Recently, my wife and I got together with some friends of ours who in the context of some situations, we had hurt each other's feelings. We had, we'd been in a place where we both were, have you ever been in a situation where you've, you've, you've been hurt, they've been hurt, and because of that, you know, if, unless somebody takes a step forward, you're just going to keep on drifting apart because you're both hurt, you know what I mean? And the, that's just how we live in the world. But Jesus shows us a different way. Jesus says, I am the God of reconciliation. I'm the one that can bring people together. How does he bring people together? Through humility, through forgiveness, through repentance, through listening and preferring one another. And so we were talking, and all of a sudden, reconciliation was happening. The very things, the very judgments and insecurities that we were all feeling were starting to to fade because we were asking for forgiveness. We were repenting of things that we had said. We were bringing things to light, and we were telling the truth, and we were, you know what I'm saying? We were doing kingdom stuff. We were doing what Jesus had paved the way for us to do. And we were reconciled, and it was joyful, and it was like, it was good. We were one. Now, in that situation, or in your situations, if anybody else knows that there's something wrong between you, what happens when they see that, that that healing happens? Like, how did that happen? How did that happen? Well, that happened because of Jesus. Because I can tell you that if I didn't have Jesus and the acknowledgement that he had forgiven me in my rebellion and sin, if he hadn't changed my heart, I would have held a grudge till the day I died. And I would have sure convinced myself that that person was much wronger than I was. And that I was right in what I did. But being right or wrong is not the kingdom. Loving and forgiving is the kingdom. When Jesus the intercessor comes and he prays for us, and he is the fulfillment, by the way, of his prayer, isn't he? He doesn't pray something for us that he doesn't fulfill. What did he pray over us? He prayed protection. And in the first context of that passage of Scripture, I believe he was praying for us the protection from pride and independence because he links it to unity. He links it to reconciliation. He prayed for protection from the devil because there really is a devil, by the way. And he really does hate your life. And he really does want to keep you from experiencing the forgiveness and the life that Jesus offers you. And, And Jesus himself, knowing because he had interfaced with the devil... And he knows that the devil stands in your life to accuse you. Anybody ever felt accused and nobody's talking? There ain't anybody around you accusing you and you feel accused. Who's accusing you? 
Your flesh and the devil are accusing you of things that Jesus is saying. You don't have to stand under that accusation because I have forgiven you. I have set you free from that pattern of sin. I have delivered you and I am your intercessor. So that when the devil stands and accuses you, guess who stands on your behalf if you're a believer? Jesus. So if the judge, Father in heaven, is standing there and the devil is saying, you know what, Sean is, he's a liar. He's not really all that holy. I've seen his actions. I know his thoughts. No, you don't. I think I know what he's thinking because I've seen what he's done. He's not as holy as he pretends to be. And Jesus said, yeah, he is. No, he's not. I've seen him. Father, I've seen him. He's, he's lied. He's been mean to his wife. He's said words he shouldn't say. He's thought, he's done things. I, I've seen it. Yeah, you know what, but I've died for him. Father, you remember that? Remember when I died? I died for him. You're right. You have Jesus. He, he died for him. Ah! The blood covers his sin. The blood covers his offenses. The blood covers not only his sin in the past, but his sin now and his sin in the future. I stand as the one who has interceded for him on his behalf, not just with prayers, not just with acts of kindness, but I have laid down my life for him. I have stood in the gap. I have given my life for him, and he is covered by me. Father, he's forgiven. Right? Yes, He is. He's cleansed, right? Yes, He is. He has eternal hope, right? Yes, He does. Why? Because of what you've done, Jesus, for Him on the cross. You stand accused by the devil, and God, and Jesus prays protection for you from your pre-salvation life, but He also prays protection for you that you would not listen and hear the lies of the enemy because you have been set free. prays for your sanctification and holiness, which he provides for you on the cross. He prays that we would be one, which he provided for you on the cross. He prays that you would live, for him, live with him for eternity, which he provided for you on the cross. He intercedes for you on your behalf, which he does not only with his words, but with his life. stands in the gap we see this in mark 14 in the garden remember when he went right after this meal and right after he prayed he took some disciples into the garden and he prayed mark 14 says he went on a little further and he fell to the ground and he prayed that if it were possible the awful hour awaiting him might pass him by so he was aware about what aware of what was about to happen he knew he was going to die he knew he was going to experience a painful death he knew that his disciples were going to Flee and abandon him because he said that in his speech before the garden. He knows everything that is about to happen and he's human and God, but in his humanness, he's in the garden and he is saying, God, if there is another way, do it. But I want you to know, I am obedient to you, whatever you want, I am all in. Why? Because He loves you and me. He loves you that much. 
Jesus, you love me that much. I always say this when I talk about Jesus' death on the cross, but I'll say it again to you. You put your name in your face next to him when he's walking through this trial. I see Jesus and I see him with me and I see him looking at me and saying, Sean, I am doing this for you because I love you. And you put your face and name in that and he's saying the same thing. Father, if you would take this cup of suffering away from me, do it. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. He was willing to suffer on the cross. He fulfilled his love. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We no longer bear the mark of punishment or sinfulness, but Jesus interceded for us with his life. So how do we respond? We receive him. We receive it. The, the most heinous act of pride that we could commit. And I say this on behalf of God with all love and respect to any person in this room. But the most heinous crime that we can commit before God is not to receive the atoning work of Jesus that has been done for you on the cross. When we say, I do not need His blood. I do not need His death. I'm good enough. Or He's not been good enough to me and I will not receive it. Or, or we say, I'm not good enough to receive it. Either side of the equation is pride and rebellion and it hurts and dishonors God because He gave up His only Son. So when we play that role of false humility, I'm not good enough for what you've done. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Every single one of us in this room and all the world, God loves dearly. For God so loved the entire world of every person who's ever lived that He gave His one and only Son that who would ever, whosoever believed Him would not perish but have everlasting life. He loves you that way. Do not reject it. And in your strength of independence, may God convict you of the fact that you cannot be good enough to walk into heaven on your own merit. You're not going to backpack to heaven and say, hey, it's a good journey. I did pretty good, didn't I? We're not good enough. If we're really honest, we're far from good enough. If we are fully aware of who we are, we are desperately inadequate to earn even a sliver of merit from the living God. But thanks be to God, we have an intercessor. Receive him who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. He humbled himself. God humbled himself so that we can know him by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross.
when he washed their feet and Peter fought him on it, Jesus said, this is the only way. This is the kingdom. I have to serve you so that you can be set free. Jesus said, my whole body, do whatever you have to. I get it. God, thank you. Jesus, thank you. And then Jesus said, in the same way that I'm serving you, you should go and serve others. So as believers in Jesus in the room, the very way in which Jesus has modeled his life for us is the way that we should live for one another. He said it. He revealed it. That if we have Jesus in us, our road is a road of preference, of deference, of honor, of humility, of service. How do we respond? We receive. We serve. We pray. We pray for ourselves. It's not selfish to pray for yourself, by the way, because that's the Lord's prayer, isn't it? That's God. Could you answer it? Okay, I mean, he might have something important he wants you to say, not me. Then he returned and found the disciples asleep in the garden. And he said, can you not watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray. Pray so that you will not be given to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body or the flesh is weak. He wants us to intercede. He wants us to call out to him on our own behalf. Lord, help me. Please, don't, don't be so pious that you think the only prayers you can pray are prayers for others. We'll get to that in a second. You should be doing that. Pray for yourself. Because praying for yourself to Jesus means that you are in a humble position of realizing you need God. God, give me my daily bread. I need it. Help me to forgive others because you've forgiven me. Help me to not be overcome by temptation. Lord, help me. Help. Because there's an enemy. It wants to take me out. Jesus said, I'll help you. I'll come. But he also encourages us to pray for others. Paul talks about it. I urge you to pray with all petitions, prayers, and intercessions, and thanksgiving for all people. In 1 Timothy 2, Ephesians 6, pray in the Spirit on all occasions, all kinds of prayers and requests. Be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. James 5, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Sometimes the most, not sometimes, always one of the most effective ways that we can serve and intercede for one another is to pray. Because there's power in prayer. Because when we pray and ask God to intervene, He does what we can't do. Amen? He does what we can't do. I was sharing this morning as we were praying over the service. Um, about a, a, a sweet, dear saint friend of mine who is no longer living. Her name was Ann O'Leary. She was, when I was youth pastor, she was the mom of a, a girl in our youth group. And I, I had the privilege, and I, I, I honestly say it in that way, I had the privilege of watching her die. For the six years I knew her, she had MS, and she ended up dying after six years. Not that we didn't pray for healing every day that we were near her, not that we weren't hoping beyond hope that she would be healed, but God chose to use her life in a different way. And we would go as staff members of the church and friends to go and minister to Anne. That was the joke in our church was, I'm going to go minister to Anne. 
when really we knew that the reason that we were going to minister to Anne is so that she could minister to us. We'd walk in the room, she would be frail, and the very first question that she would say to me when I'd walk in, she would say, first of all, she'd greet me. She'd say, hi, Sean. It is so good to see you. And she could barely speak. And then before I could even say, it, it was like, it was a kind of a game. I'd try to beat her to the punch. Before I could even get out a word of encouragement or a question, she would say, Sean, how can I pray for you? How can I pray for you? What's going on in your life? Because she had touched in her weakness heaven. She had touched God's heart, and she, even in her own weakness, and I'm sure that there are many prayers that she prayed for herself for healing, but in that place of weakness, she was interceding for me. Talking to her husband, Tom, the, the revelation came that there were hundreds and hundreds hundreds of people that she was calling out for daily. And she wasn't just thinking about herself, but she was interceding for others. Laying down our lives, lastly. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than he laid down his life for another. Jesus asked of us everything. That the true act of intercession in our life is that our life has been completely been born again, redeemed because of God. And our only offering, our acceptable offering, maybe is a better way of putting it, our most acceptable offering to the Lord in return is that we surrender our lives for his service. God, how would you have me love other people? How would you have me maybe wash others' feet? Humble in acts of service. Maybe in prayers of intercession, calling out for their sickness or their jobs or their lives or their relationships or whatever God puts on our hearts to pray for other people in their trial or their struggle through life. But it may be that we open up our lives to greater sacrifice for others. It may be that we um, do greater acts of service than just a one-time act, that it might be that we step aside in position to allow others a place of position. It may be that we um, sacrifice financially over and above what we could ever imagine so that others, another could be lifted up financially. You see what I'm saying? It might be that God would ask us not require of us, but ask us of greater le- de- depths of death and sacrifice so that more of the aroma of Christ can be seen. We all know of those experiences where when somebody actually does something that is beyond what we think is needed. When the sacrifice is the greatest we experience the revelation or the joy of, wow, Jesus is like that for me. 